Would you do one thing real quick? I don't want, I want to get right into the Word because I want to get to the altar. But would you lift your hands in the air? And would you pray this? Father, I'm ready to go beyond. I'm ready to pierce beyond. I'm tired of jumping ship. If the storm rages, I'm staying in the boat. Jesus, would you calm my storm? I'm in this for the long haul. Give God one more praise offering. Would you do that? Come on. Grab your Bibles real quick. I want to go right to the Word. I'm going to say it again. Grab your Bibles real quick. Open to Mark chapter 4. Again, I, I must share a word that has been burning in my heart. How many of you know in every storm God always gives a boat? I've seen some pretty incredible storms in my life. I've seen sitting on the runway in Singapore with thousands of caskets lined up being sent to three nations that had been wiped out by a tsunami in a matter of seconds. A quarter of a million people disappeared. Many never to be found. The storm that hit Katrina, uh, that hit New Orleans and hit the southeast, Alabama, Mississippi, and, and uh, uh, took eight trees out of my backyard, Katrina. I, I've seen some storms, and, and what God began to speak to me as I watch our nation that's walking through some different things. And, and folks, you've got to understand something. A lot of people was that global warming. Um, and, <laughs> and I just have issues with that. But anyway... I'm going to tell you something. The Bible just says that we won't know the day nor the hour, but we will know the season. And I believe we're in a season in America right now. But I've got to preach what I had totally not planned to preach because the men's conference starts on Friday night. And I kind of wanted to set up for that because I was here for how many men are going to the men's conference? It's going to be unbelievable. And I want I spoke at it last year. I love it. It's fun. In fact, they're even having a chili cook off or a chili thing. And uh, and then they're going to be having some some contests that come from eating chili later. Amen. And um, just saying. You're lucky my daughter's not here because Asian children can produce. I'm moving forward. I've got to share a message called A People of the Other Side. Or, or the subtitle might be Handling the Storm. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, reminded of what the great preacher Jonathan Edwards said. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And I actually stood when I was preaching over uh, in Massachusetts where he preached that sermon. There's a rock on the ground where that church had been, where he had spoke that. And I stood and this, this preacher preached this sermon that's gone down in history as one of the great ones called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry, angry God. He was so blind that he had to hold the notes like this. And he didn't know. He could hear screaming. But the people, while he was preaching this powerful word, the people were hanging by the pews as if they felt they were dangling in a spider web over hell. And, but he made a powerful quote, and he said this. He said, the devil can see revival coming like we can see a storm. And I must preach the hang in there spirit tonight. There is something on this house. There is something so pure about this house. There's something so prophetic that is this house is called to do. I believe that as you move into the 312 project, I believe in all the things that are happening. And, and I, I feel like I'm at home so I can just preach like this tonight. It's going to be a little bit different if that's okay. But I, I must share this word. And, and again, about 3.30 this afternoon, Pastor Paul and I had ate lunch together. We did not share dessert this time. We stopped that. He didn't want to. But I got back to my room and I'm just praying. I'm just walking back and forth because I just felt uneasy about what I had planned to share. And I'm just walking. I'm walking in this room. And, and all of a sudden God said, I, I want you to share about the storms. Looking at Mark chapter 4, looking at verse 35. The Bible says that day when Jesus 
That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Stop right there, because I looked up the term other side, and the word in the Greek there, it's actually one word. Other side is one word. It is pedon, and it literally means to pierce beyond. So that day, Jesus looks at the disciples and said, let us go pierce something. Let's go past the point where we've always stopped. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Just as he was in the boat, there was other boats with him. A furious squill or storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, the bottom of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him up and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you see what's happening to the real estate? Jesus, don't you care that my body hurts? For a lot of us, this looks foolish to us, but it's exactly what we do. It amazes me how we praise him in the good times and point at him in the bad. And and, and so so, the Bible says, and he got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves... They begin to obey him. I believe God is about to take this place to the other side. Are you with me so far? I believe God is about to do something that's going to blow your mind. He is the God of the storm. That's why the Bible says, uh, cast all your cares upon him. He told me to preach tonight about a people of the other side. And he's calling us to that next level. That level to begin to see miracles. That level to begin to see the signs and wonders. That, that, that walking in that supernatural. In fact, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can, has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Are you ready to go deep? Give God a praise offering right now. I was on the phone with my precious gift from God. 20 years ago today, Karen and I got married. How many of you know, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool for, for marriage to last... And we're, we're, she's going to Idaho to speak at a women's conference, and we're actually meeting in the airport for 20 minutes tomorrow. Hmm. I'm just saying. I'll move forward. And she's going to Idaho, and I'll be flying home, and I'm taking care of Abby, and, and then I fly to Modesto on Saturday, and she'll be coming home on Sunday. And so it's one of those crazy weeks, and we didn't plan it that way, so next week we're doing a, a trip together for our 20th. And, and but we were talking today about all the storms that we had walked through, all the things that we've, we've had to uh, experience. That at the time, we didn't enjoy them. We hated them. At the time, when we, when we used to, to wake our son up when he was a baby because he would stop breathing from infant asthma, and, and, and I, I remember I was with the DYD's district youth directors, a guy uh, in Pennsylvania, doing their youth winter retreat, and, and I was just a kid, and my son was so sick, and I'm standing in the hospital, and the doctor came in and said, we're going to put him on a ventilator. I remember walking out in the hallway saying, save my son, God. We walked through some things together. We walked through meeting uh, with an orthopedic surgeon last Thursday with our son for his back. We've walked through, and then the next couple days on the phone with his coaches at college. See, we've walked through some things, but it's the storm that makes me appreciate the calm. You're not getting this just yet. I've got to preach about we're going somewhere. What I love about the resiliency of Lighthouse and what I love about the anointing on this place is there's a bunch of nobodies in this place. A bunch of people that had lost out. A bunch of people that shouldn't even be here. Some of y'all, some of y'all don't even want us to know your police record. Amen. There's people in this room that probably you won't fit in in a lot of places. God is bringing together a church of nobodies and somebodies. God is forming a nucleus of people, a cave of Adullam, a group of people. I've come to preach to the vision of the house tonight. It took me four Wednesday nights to be able to share this with you. And what's going to happen is the next few moments we're going to talk about going to the other side. And everybody that somewhere along the way lost your paddle. How many of you ever got paddled? Dude, we used to get tore up. Let me just talk to you all about that for a second. They used to make us grab our ankles. and the, Those coaches, they thought it was batting practice. What's going to happen is, tonight, 
we're pulling some people out of the storm. Watch this video and get ready because it's time to worship in the storm. God told me to ask you tonight if this place will be a boat. I'm preaching a people of the other side. Write this down. Number one, there's a devil loose. First Peter 5, 8 says this. It says, be sober, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This last weekend I was in San Francisco and there was probably the most demonic festival I've ever seen in my life. I'm riding to church that morning for first services, an incredible church, it's Glad Tidings Church, uh, and, and it's the oldest AG church, uh, I believe, in America. I know in California for sure. And in fact, there was superintendents there from, that were there uh, because of a conference. And, and, and I'm riding there and there's people running naked down the streets. I walked down to the lobby to go to the evening service that night. And I mean, we had an incredible blowout that morning. And, and there's people literally naked in the lobby of the W Hotel, a very nice hotel. In fact, I walked past them and I went, ooh, I don't care. I looked at my friend that night that pastors there that also suffers from Parkinson's disease. And I looked at him and I said, Forrest, his name is Forrest. And I said, Forrest, I said, you have no idea. What an impact you're making on this city. And he teared up and he said, I don't know. Because there's a devil loose. In fact, the Bible says, don't be ignorant of his devices or wiles. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 8 says, I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And, and what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that the devil might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes. The word schemes there is wiles. And it means methodia or trickery or methods that he's got a plan. In fact, the word there in the Greek for wiles is naoma, or, or, or yeah, no, noema, and it's an evil thought, a perception plan, something put out there. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. That's why it tells you to stand firm against the devil's schemes. And your enemy is strategic. You need to understand about the devil. His goal is not, he doesn't walk in and spray buckshot and take out whatever he can. He is a marksman. He pinpoints you. It's the phone call from the doctor. It is, I, I, it, it's, it's, you've lost $150,000 off your house. I'm sorry. I know that was going to be your retirement. He, he, he's a marksman. He, he, he targets you. He plans. He's, he's not some wild shot. He's had a plan to try to take you out. And he's aiming at some things in this house. 
And God began to speak to me. He said, you're to preach on this. You're to share about this. When, when, when a man or woman of God quits the ministry every 90 minutes, there's, there's a devil loose. When people are more concerned about the economy than unborn babies, there's a devil loose. When, when, when the divorce rate in the church is outpacing the world, there, there's a devil loose. When alcoholism is no longer considered sin but a disease, there's a devil loose. When on one corner you can have a state-run liquor store and on the other corner a state-run rehab clinic, there's a devil loose. When, when teenage sexuality res- will result in one million teenage pregnancies in America this year, there's a devil loose. When one out of ten teens cut themselves, there's a devil loose. When 34% of a generation are now growing up absent a dad, there is a devil loose. Are you, when a murder victim is, 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 is when a murderer is no longer a, a horrible crime, but, but they say a murderer is a victim of society, born on the wrong side of the tracks. The government let him down. The government failed him. There is a devil loose. When doctrines of humanity and modernistic theology erode the very fiber of the Word of God, when they take away and they add to this thing right here. Are you with me so far? When, when, uh, when our own president will say everybody's got their own journey and there's many ways to God, there is a devil loose. What are you talking about, Pat? When they no longer preach the cross or the virgin birth of Christ, or they no longer preach the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a devil loose. I'm going to preach tonight. Whether you join me or not, you better make up your mind. I don't know if you had a tough day at work, but I've come to tell you something. We're going to ride this storm out. You're not getting this just yet. Because some of you, your faith has been shipwrecked. Come the last four Wednesday nights, you shouted and walked away going, but what about me? When we'll ban the Bible in schools but bring condoms in the front door, there's a devil loose. When the California Supreme Court can overrule the the vote of the people and say that it's discriminatory, it's Jim Crow laws. When you say that marriage is between a man and a woman, that it's not true, that it can be a man and a man, something is wrong. There's a redefining of the very culture of America. And I'm here to tell you something. There's an all-out attack. And folks, we are in the storm of a century right now in our nation. But look at this promise. Look what it says in Isaiah 54, verse 11. Oh, afflicted phoenix, lashed by storms and not comforted, I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. Somebody give God a praise offering. Now, that's a description of heaven, but understand it's talking about the other side because there's a battle of two kingdoms right now. The battle of the the enemy and the battle of Jesus. So write this down, number two. Are you ready to go to the other side? Like, Lord, you you want me to preach on this? He said, you prophesy. I had no idea they're going to show that video tonight because he said, Pat, I have set this house up for this city. Folks, be a lighthouse or take the sign down. And by the way, those that showed up on the street corner after we talked about that last week and held up signs and said, I love you, way to go. That was awesome. Those are human billboards. Jesus walked into the synagogue and he said, basically, and he copied what I, he quoted what Isaiah had wrote. He said, on this side you're going to be blind, but on the other side you'll see. On this side you have mourning, but on the other side I'll give you joy. On this side you'll have ashes, but I'll restore it to where beauty is. Church, do you understand? I'm preaching about going to the other side. I'm talking about, now you need to realize because it's glory to glory, but between every glory there's a bridge called adversity. If you're going to go to the next level, you're going to have to fight through some things. You're going to have to climb over some things. You're going to have to do some things you've never done. That's why Ephesians 5.1 says, I'm an imitator. Moses understood the concept when he said, God will make you the head and not the tail. See, I don't want to be on the losing side. I want to be on the winning side. And there's a moment where you begin to realize if you've had heaviness or depression and fear all your life, something begins to change inside of you. And you start saying, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be like this. Remember when Jesus called the 12 disciples? Most of them were rednecks. I love rednecks. You don't, have to, you don't have to put no airs on. Rednecks, come visit me in Alabama. They'll wave at you and they don't even know you. They're eating boiled peanuts. They'll hand some to you. They don't care. Want, want some, dude? <laughs> Their kids will help you. Son, get over and help that man. But remember when he called the 12 disciples? He looked at him and said, drop your nets. Where, where are we going? What are we going to do? I don't know. But if you follow me, 
I'll teach you how to fish for something you've never thought about fishing for. You're telling me to abandon my boat. You're telling me to abandon my job. You're telling me to walk away from everything? Yeah. What's the end result? You'll die for me. Well, are we going to be, are we going to set up the knights of the round table? We're going, people are going to praise us. You're going to tear down Caesar. You're going to, no. They dropped their businesses. They walked away from family. They laid down their personal agendas all to go to the other side. Folks, someday we're all going to the other side. I don't know about you, but I, I wake up almost every morning and I say, Jesus, why don't you come on back? Because he's about to come back. You just watch what's happening with Israel and Iran right now. They're in China, the buildup the, of the great army and what's going to uh, happen in the, in the great valley and all the stuff that is happening. Folks, how many of you know the rapture is going to happen? We don't talk about it anymore because, because it kind of scares us. Especially if you're scared of heights. I've said this before, but how many, I have thought I've missed it many times. And it's quite a scary moment. In fact, we should start a club like Alcoholics Anonymous, like Rapture Anonymous people. You're sitting there, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, when, when did it happen to you? Well, I was 12. Man, my parents were hiding from me and... My parents made me watch that movie Thief in the Night when I was a kid. My dad was the head of Teen Challenge for Alabama, and I'm watching this movie called Thief in the Night, and it is the scariest movie I've ever watched in my life. One, one night I came home, and we had just gotten Nate a new car, uh, 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 or a car for his 16th birthday, and, and I was upstairs in my office. I came down. All the lights were on, and, and the, uh, no family. Even the dog was gone, and I know our dog's going to hell. All of a sudden, I went walking through the house, and I forgot we had gotten him a car. So my car was in the driveway, Karen's car was in the driveway, and it's like, I went to the backyard, it's dark. And, I'm, and I always feel like my, my family's pretty pure, and I'm like, Lord, but they weren't that pure. So all of a sudden they come pulling up in this Land Rover that we had gotten, this old Land Rover. They come pulling up in the driveway. It's a circular driveway in front of our house. They come pulling up, and I walk out, and I'm standing there, and Karen goes, Do you think you missed it? But if he isn't come back soon, I do know this. Lighthouse is going to the other side. See, you need to understand what I'm talking about. Number three, write this down. Get in the boat! Make up your mind to be a part of something bigger! All of a sudden, Jesus gets done telling parables. One version says that he got through feeding the 5,000. All of a sudden, he says, get in the boat! Sometimes, and they didn't know where they were going. Where are we going, Jesus? We're going to pierce the beyond. All of a sudden, they get in the boat. Where are we going? I don't know. We're going to the other side. We're going to another level. What I've learned about God is sometimes God is very sketchy about what he's trying to take you to. I don't know if he sits back and chuckles when he does it too. Sometimes he's like, hey, resign. Oh, why? Do it. All of a sudden, they're hanging out with the king. The disciples are excited. They are a part of a club. They're a part of a group of guys. They get in the boat. It is an exciting time. They've just seen miracles. They fed the 5,000. Jesus has come up with the coolest stories ever that they don't understand yet. And all they knew was that he was in the boat with them. And they get in the boat, and all of a sudden, they're comfortable in this place. You remember when you first got in the boat? There's nothing that could shake you. When you first got in the boat, you would praise when nobody else would praise. You couldn't stand it when you looked around and saw other people not praising. You remember when you first got in the boat here? Remember when you showed up at Lighthouse and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know I could feel love like this in one church. Finally, a safe place, a non-religious place, a place that can make it through a storm of a pastor losing his leg, a place that will praise and dance and shout for no reason. Remember when you first got here and it didn't smell like religion, it smelled like something fresh, smelled like a nursery, smelled like something powerful. Remember when you first came here when you didn't know it was cool to sit in back? Now, all the way back there, I'm not talking to you. I'm not, I don't mean it. 
Because when Karen and I go visit places, we sit in the back. <laughs> but remember when you first got into this Christianity, good old gospel ship. And you would throw a scripture before you'd throw a complaint. And you would worship before anybody had a chance to out-worship you. And you would hear a story, and rather than say, let me see the doctor's report, let me, you'd say, let me lay hands on you. Remember when you first got a hold of this thing and it meant something? When it was so real and so powerful that it stirred you up. And here they were, they're in the boat with Jesus. Jesus was tired. Judas had already checked weather.com. Everything is fine. They were happy. They were floating along. They had completed being a part of some big moves of God and now they're just floating along they're in the ministry tour bus they're floating and the birds were singing and they talked about the parables and I bet they laughed about the guy who had eaten half a basket of bread and made fun of him and about the kid that was going to get a spanking for losing his lunch and they're just they're doing preacher stories yeah did you see that one guy he's had like there was extra fish and uh they're just telling stories. It was a Sunday afternoon. They had just had a great service. And, and, and then they, they just even started, row, row, row your boat. Gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. We're just hanging with the king. I mean, they're just floating along. They're kicking around in the water. And Jesus is down there sleeping and then thunder. They, have ne- they would have never gotten along together before Jesus called them because they were from different worlds. I mean, they were, they were from every kind of thing there. And, and, and now we had some master fishermen on board that understood the boats. But, but understand, all of a sudden the waves started tossing and the lightning started coming. And wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Number four, write this down. This is a simple word. It's what God told me to do. Storms of life will always make you doubt the journey. Jesus forgot to tell them about this part. He didn't tell them that they were, he was taking them into a storm. He just said, get in the boat. Somebody forgot to ask him. And so all of a sudden, they're floating along. He's in the bottom of the stern of the boat. He is sound asleep. Before they got in the boat, they had purpose. We were a part of something great. We were seeing something powerful. I call it the agony of victory and the thrill of defeat. Folks, it is easy to get comfortable in the victories. But it's when defeat comes and something rises up inside of you and says, wait a minute, I'm not going to stay down. I'm not going to stay defeated. I'm not going to stay beat up. And so all of a sudden, they're floating along and they're floating and despair begins to rise up in darkness. And somebody brought up the story of Jonah. Everybody pointed at Judas. Peter says, I'll throw him overboard. Isn't it amazing how the emotions of a person can change in a matter of a moment about how they feel about the boat? That boat was fun. till the storm came. The waves started beating the ship, and all of a sudden they started getting sick. And they're going, wait a minute, I, did, I, I, I don't understand what's happening. I, I can't. Listen, folks, if you're going through a storm right now, can I just encourage you? You're safer in, this, in the boat than in the water. Can I just bring a word to you? Have you not watched Gilligan's Island? I can, I, I can quote every show from Gilligan's Island, but the problem is we got a lot of people that are on the island that don't know how to, don't know how to help lead a, lead a ship. You're, you're kind of like Thurston Howell and Lovey, Lovey doll, and, and, and you're just floating around. And if you look at all the characters of Gilligan's Island, it really describes a church. I'll go there for a second if you want. You got the professor that knows more theology than he knows anything else, and then you, you, you got you got the you got the, the the youth pastor. That's Gilligan, Sean. You got the rich guy that can buy everybody in the church. You got yeah, those of you that have never watched Gilligan. I didn't until I was older because I was grounded during that season. But what you have to understand. And then you got those crazy natives that run through the place. But what you got to watch is this. Paul even talked about despairing of life. The Bible talks in 2 Corinthians about 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 25, beaten with rod, shipwrecked three times. In fact, look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I, I, I love this scripture because he, he gets so real over in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under such great pressure, far, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we even despaired of life. 
But the Bible goes on to talk about how he said he's delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We've set our hope. But look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, but... Not in despair, persecuted, but not struck down, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed. Folks, do you understand he is the God of the dark times? He's the God of the storm. I learned that when my sister died. I learned that as I spent six months wondering how this could happen. I learned it when I walked into that hospital room at six in the morning and looked at her dead body and going, how in the world did this happen? This doesn't happen to our family. We're, we've got the perfect family. I have a dear friend, her name is Jeannie Mayo, and she's an unbelievable communicator and coach. And I call her mom, but she gave me this scripture one day in Isaiah 50, verse 10, and it just spoke to me years ago. She, she gave me the scripture, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Remember when Paul was in prison? He allowed himself to be put in prison. And then suddenly he's in a boat. In Acts chapter 27, it talks about the storm. Look what it says. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Hey, fellas, listen. You should have taken my advice and not to sell from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But then he goes on to tell him, but an angel came to me last night. And we're going to be okay. He said, don't be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island somewhere. And all of a sudden, but be careful, 14 days they've been floating. 14 days they're in the biggest hurricane of a lifetime, the storm of the century. They're floating along, and look what happens. Look down now at Acts chapter 27, verse 29. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Verse 30. This is the key. It says, in attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Here's the problem. The professionals are abandoning the ship. Here's the problem. The people that can sell the thing are leaving the ship. Here's the problem. There are people that God has called that have been put in certain ships, places. Folks, can I tell you something? Once you jump from one ship, it gets easier and easier to jump from others. Once you cowardly run away from a storm, once you cowardly abandon one ship, in other words, once you leave one church, it really gets easy to leave others. So number five, quit abandoning the ship. Oh, but this is such a simple word. I'll never forget. It was about three or four years ago. We were on, no, three years ago. We were on vacation. And I decided I wanted to rent a boat. Now, I'm not nautically minded. We were down at the beach, and I talked my family into it. I said, let's take a boat out in the ocean. Well, Pat, when have you ever done that? Never. So next thing you know, we're in this big pontoon boat that I rented. And it's my wife, my son, his best friend, and my little girl. And we were going to go to what's called Shell Island. Something happened. We went to the island. We got shells. But I don't know what happened. Because when we left, we ended up in a shipping lane in the middle of the ocean for four hours. And I didn't allow my family to talk. Because honest to goodness, at one point, true story, honest to goodness, at one point, there's a giant ship passing on this side of us and another one on this side of us, and they're all looking at us. And my little girl keeps saying, at five years old, we're going to die. True story. At one point, a wave came up on the boat, 
We're out of water. Cell phone wouldn't work. And at one point, all of a sudden, I see the cooler that had food in it. A wave came up and it took it on out to sea. Finally, this boat came and rescued us. And my family doesn't want to go on vacation again. And I tried to tell them I wasn't lost. I just wanted to show them the deep blue sea. Folks, you understand it doesn't take faith to get in the boat. The real faith is when you stay in the boat when you should abandon ship. It's a young man that emailed me from Venezuela and said, Pat, when you came and did that conference, I want you to know something. I gave my heart to Christ. My brother, my dad, and my uncle have all been killed by the government here. My grandfather is in prison. I'm never going to see him again here in Venezuela. But I am not leaving this thing. I have decided to become a worship leader and teach a nation how to worship. Somebody give God a praise offering. But it's in the storm. You always say, where are you, God? I don't feel you like I used to. Folks, it's called discipleship. Reminded, Brian, of when you and I were with Joel Stockstill. Joel's dad, Larry, pastors one of the most incredible churches in America, 20,000 or more. And when his wife was dying two years ago of cancer, you and I were there. At one point, under the hospital bed, praying for Amy, who was 28, had led over 2,000, discipled over 2,000 girls. And this is one of my dearest friends. And I'm under the hospital bed praying. We're in this hospital praying for three days. I had sores on my tongue from praying in the Spirit, and she died. My friend Joel, who's a prophet, walks up to me and he says, I must praise him regardless. I said, where are you going? He's had 70 surgeries himself. Where are you going? I'm going to worship. And some people will, I'm about to close. Some people will tell you to get out of the boat. Some people will tell you to abandon. But be careful who you have in that boat with you. Remember what I taught you about friendship, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't be yoked together with the wrong people. What I've come to tell you is this is a ship. This is a place that is going somewhere. And God is building this place. And he's growing this place. And what you've got to understand is when you go through the storms, that's not when you sit out of church. That's not when you sleep in on Sunday morning. That's when you get out of bed and say, I'm going to go praise him. In fact, this week. I normally stand in about the middle, but this week, this week I'm going to run up front. I'm going to worship and let somebody make fun of me because they don't know what I went through. They don't know how bumpy the boat is right now. They don't know about the waves that are hitting me right now. They don't know about my pet scan, do they, Roger? They don't know what people are walking through. I wish somebody praise him this, this evening. God told me to tell you. And maybe your faith was shipwrecked. Look what it says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. See, folks, I'm calling you to get to that place. Well, who do I call on, Pat, when I'm walking through this? When's the last time you just hit your knees and said, I need you. I need you. My son looked at a doctor on Thursday afternoon in Birmingham, and the doctor said, Date flew in that morning. He's in his shorts and T-shirt. Veins sticking out of his legs. Doctor looks at him and says, son, I, you need to quit playing football. And Nate looked at him and he said, okay, I guess it's time to start my ministry then. And I looked at him and I went. And that doctor looked at me and he said, that's unbelievable. We got home and I walked in. I said, are you okay? He said, yes, sir. He said, I'm just ready to preach. See, you got to understand. Your foundation rises to the surface when you get words you weren't expecting. Something changes when you get news that you weren't expecting. Why? Because you have to understand what I'm talking about. The Bible says in First uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to a faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. What does Hebrews talk about? It talks about the anchor. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie and we have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. What are you talking about, Pat? There's two times to praise Him when you feel like it and you don't. And God sent me here on this last last Wednesday night that I get to come be with 
with you. Understand something. There is a moment where you say, let the storm come. Let the waves beat. Let the wind rise up. I'm going to praise Him. Jesus made a promise. He's not a liar. We're going to the other side. That's why Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct the paths. Write this down, number six. He's still in the boat. I love this. Somebody remembered Jesus was in the boat. I love this. Would you quit treating Jesus like everybody else that has abandoned you? He's just waiting on you to wake Him up. That's why Paul said, Stir up the gift. Fan into flame. David said, I felt like dying until I entered into the sanctuary. It is that understanding where you begin to say, God, Hebrews 2, 5 says, you're the captain of my salvation. He hasn't abandoned the, the, the ship. It's that eureka moment where you begin to say, wait a minute. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Wait a minute. He's never let me down. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me, according to Hebrews. He's promised he'll be with me. And there is a moment where your Christian walk goes to the next level. It's that Christian walk we talked about last Wednesday night about faith going into purpose understanding that at this point wait a minute i always quit right here i always stop right here karen said something to me one time when we were about to get in an argument she said why don't we not do that this time why don't we pray well hold on don't clap it made me so mad i was winning You know what? It changed our marriage. We're riding down the freeway and we're getting into it. And 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 it was it was it was it was last week. No, it was a few years ago. And and uh, we were about to argue. And she said, "Pat, let's not do this this time." And she grabs my hand and starts praying, and it ticked me off. And I said, "Can I say one more thing before we pray?" No. She got, the, but she, it wasn't God moment because she got the last thing she was going to say, blah, 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 pray. <laughs> When's the last time you did that, though? It changed our marriage. We got what we just pray. We got what we just begin to cry out to God when all hell breaks loose. See, God's waiting on you to remember he's in the boat. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't walked out on you. He's not going to abandon you. Well, but my daddy walked out on me. Well, you need to walk out of your heredity into your destiny. Walk out of what you've been through, what you've already had imparted, those imprints on your brain, and say, wait a minute, he formed the very brain. He formed the very spirit. Somebody give him a praise. And the Bible says the boat was almost full. Come on, Pastor Kim. Says the boat was almost full. Folks, would you quit waiting so long to cry out to him? I write this down. Wake him up! Psalms 121 verse 3. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will never slumber nor sleep. He is an Eli, asleep against the wall, waiting on his neck to be broken by the weight of his own body. Folks, I don't know about you, but God is saying, wake me up. I, I, when I can't sleep at night... Me, Karen, Nate, and or, or, or Nate, Abby, and I are the same way. If we can't sleep, we have to wake Karen up. And sometimes, if I study too late, it'll mess me up. I cannot go to sleep, and and I'll, I'll be laying there in bed, and I've got to preach it, you know, early the next morning. And we'll be at a hotel, or we'll be at home, and all of a sudden, I and it's the coolest thing. If I wake her up at like two in the morning, and tell her I can't sleep, I can go to sleep. She gets so mad at her. Why? She goes, "Why is it?" That when our family cannot sleep, they must wake me up. Any other moms have that happen? I have to wake Karen up. I got to let her know. Baby, Karen. I always start off soft. Karen. 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 What? 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 I can't sleep. And she'll go, why are you telling me? I just need to tell somebody. And then I can go to sleep. The problem is some of you think God's asleep. 
In Psalms 94, verse 9, does he who plant, implanted the very ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches man lack knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows they are futile. I love Psalms 93, verse 4, and it's, it's not back there, but I, I wrote this down. Mightier than the, the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. What are you talking about? Can you see the disciples? Look what it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 39 as we close. How many of you are afraid to wake your parents up? Because they, they can't talk. They can't think right when you wake them up. And then as you get older, you become like your parents. So when Nate has friends spending the night, I mean, there's been one or two in the morning. I'll hear them down in the, downstairs in the basement playing video games or something. And I just... I get up, it's one or two in the morning, they're laughing. I mean, it's like it's, it's like two in the afternoon to them. And I'm going, hey, hey, hey. And they'll go, okay, Dad, we'll quiet down. And then I hear them mockingly laugh as I leave. Can you see the disciples? I don't know who was assigned to wake him up. But they probably pick the weakest one. No, you get him up, dude. No, you know what? He, he, he should know that it's raining. The boat's almost full of water. He's got to be down there on a waterbed right now. First waterbed ever. He's got to be like floating. And all of a sudden, I love this. One of the disciples goes down and says, Emmanuel, salvation, the line of the tribe of Judah, rose of Sharon, the I am that I am, the lily of the valley, the bright morning star. We're drowning up here. And as Jesus woke up, see the problem is some of you think we serve a suicidal God. He wasn't going to let anything happen. And I bet he was ticked. He was exhausted. When you preach an hour, it's like working eight hours of hard labor. You're just exhausted. He gets up. He's told all the stories. And now he's with the ones that should believe will make the storm. Now he's with the ones that should actually stand, be the ones that up there just going, hey, you just get a bucket, let's get the extra water out. But the very ones he thought would ride out the storm were the ones that lacked the most faith. And all of a sudden, I bet he was ticked. I bet he couldn't even talk normal. I mean, I do that with Nate when he waves. I'm going to kill him. I'm just going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. And all of a sudden, he gets to the top of the boat. And the disciples are scared to death. And the Bible says he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Can you see him when he walks up to the top of the boat? He's, he's been sleeping through the storm. Because when you know who's in the boat, you can sleep through the storm. When you know who's in the boat, you don't worry about drowning. When you know who's in the boat, it's just all it is, a little motion. When you know who's in the boat, something can come against you and you begin to realize, but I know who's in the boat. I know who's still with me. I know who has not left me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I can see him walking out to the edge of the boat. The wind is blowing and he says, wind, stop it. And the wind goes, sorry, Lord. Rain! Stop. The rain stops. Waves! Lay down! The waves begin to bow. Yes, Lord. Why did they respond to Him? Because they recognized the very voice that had spoke them into existence. Suddenly, Jesus turns to the disciples and He says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you not know who I am? Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Our nation is in a storm right now. See, what would happen is later on, they would get out of the storm and immediately they would go set a man free from demons and he would become the first evangelist. But sometimes what I've learned is if I'm going through this storm, what I love about this story is everybody wasn't in the boat, just the ones Jesus trusted. 
So if you're going through a storm right now and if Jesus is in the boat, it's because he trusts you to ride the storm out. And if you've been walking through some things and you've been under attack, what you've got to understand is God says, I haven't gone anywhere. And what you've got to realize is he is saying, I am raising up this house right now. In fact, he says, somebody better grab a hold of this. Somebody better grab a hold of a paddle because this place is going somewhere. And Lighthouse Church is a place that will shine a light. Stand with me. That will shine a light on the rocks. That will say, wait just a minute. We're not going under. We're going over. We're going to praise him because he's called me to pierce through to break through the other side. He's called me to praise, to go to that place of piercing beyond. And when he said to the disciples, let's go to the other side, he was saying, let's go to a place that you've not yet arrived in your faith. Let's pierce beyond the place where you always stop. And I think when he got in the boat after saying that to him, he's hoping. Father, there's a storm coming. Let's hope they're ready. So he falls asleep and they come to wake him up. And I think he was ticked off. Because he was saying to them, do you not even realize who's in the boat? And then suddenly they go, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. God told me to share this word tonight because he said, I'm about to. Well, we're not shouting like we've done every night. We're not screaming and hollering. He told me to tell you. There's too many churches with paddles floating outside of them. There's too many people that are abandoning ships that know how to lead the ship. There's too many people that are jumping ship and they've decided to let their church be a cruise ship instead of a battleship. See, a cruise ship will fly under any flag, under any country. A a battleship knows what country it's under. A cruise ship will change the flag with the port. A cruise ship won't try to ride out the storm. A battleship will. And God is asking Lighthouse, will you be a battleship or will you be a cruise ship? Because if you'll be a battleship, he says, I'm going to rise up and we're going to go conquer the enemy. Is anybody ready to take this church to the next level? Somebody praise him!